Guys, I'm trying to figure out who's going to be good for what I have planned. Hmm. Hmm. Hey, Tanner. <laughs> I could use your help. Blessings, are you up for some helping? Sure? Okay. Tanner, blessings, come here. We're going to start out with a little, a little challenge this morning. Yeah, you guys can come here. Okay. So the goal, here, here's the table. You guys can come on this side of the table so everybody can see you a little better. You want to stand and gather around and camp. So the goal is, it's a little obstacle course challenge. So the goal is to stack all these cups in a pyramid. Okay? Then you have to fold this piece of paper in half. Okay? Then you have to light all of these candles and then blow them all out. Okay? Then you have to spin this top and it has to stay on the center plate. Okay? And then you have to come over here and you have to erase this line on the whiteboard. Okay? Now, blessings is going to go first. Alright? There is a caveat though. You see this piece of wood? You have to hold it against your forehead with one of your hands. Okay? Someone have a phone with a timer? Someone needs to keep track of time, Trina. Okay. So when you're ready, um, we're going to start a stopwatch. We're going to see who does it faster. Okay? You're, you're going to have to wait your turn. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you just like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, like this? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. You ready? Trina can start the countdown. Ready? Go.
I think I think you need to hold it out here a little bit more, like on your shoulder, like that. Like that? I feel like that's worse. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, Boston's got to hold it against his forehead. You're balancing on your shoulder. That's not fair. We got to move it out here a little bit. Yeah, there you go. On your mark, get set, go. Wow, that's actually kind of smoother than I thought it was. What was what was Black Sea Sun? I gave him a 10 second reduction for the top still spinning. Oh, there it goes. So it's obviously, it's obvious rather, that the person holding this plank gonna have a harder time doing anything, right? Except unless the goal is to hold a plank, in which case you could do it. But almost anything else is gonna be more difficult. And it's kind of silly to watch someone carry around wood and try to do stuff, isn't it? It's a hyperbolic example, not as in a hyperbola, but as in hyperbole. It's a hyperbolic example that Jesus uses, and we'll get there in a second, to make a point. And before we get into what Jesus says, I want us to all be on the same page. What we're talking about today is only God can judge me. So we're in the Bible doesn't say that series, and this is the last week, and if you're here at all, or just out of logical reasoning, I can, you can assume that the Bible doesn't say that only God can judge me. Have you guys heard that phrase before? Have you guys heard that before? Only God can judge me. Just this morning. Interesting how that happened, huh? It's a pretty common phrase. And in 1996, even Tupac came out with a song called Only God Can Judge Me. I do not recommend you take your theology from rappers. People have used this phrase a lot uh, to usually get people off their backs, to, to justify what they want, to do something that someone else disagrees with. 
And Christians have said it to other Christians to get away with sin. And non-Christians have said it to Christians attempting to condemn them to make them stop the judging, the judgment, right? Like, hey, only guy can judge me. What are you doing? Telling me that I'm not allowed to drink 40 beers in a row or whatever. Right? It's a quick way. It's a quick way to shut someone up. Say, you know what? You're not in a place of authority over me only. God can judge me. So we're going to look at the words that Jesus has here. In Matthew chapter 7, you can go ahead and turn there with me, that often are used to support this idea that only God can judge me. We're going to start in verse 1. Don't read ahead. We're just looking at verse 1 here. Everything with a big stick is a little more ridiculous. <laughs> so Matthew 7, 1 says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. So when we see someone or when we read this for the first time, and we see someone read this for the first time, it might be right to assume that it means something similar to only God can judge me. Right? You can take this verse by itself and say, you know, we're not able to judge other people because we're going to be judged in return, and we obviously don't want that. So it makes sense to just let people do their thing without judgment, and they're going to let you do your thing without judgment, and let's just leave all the judging in general to God. Okay? Let's just keep all the judging away from each other. Just let God handle it. Which is logical. It makes sense. It's not an unfair reading if you're just reading this verse. But that is where the Bible gets abused the most often. Is when people just read one verse. And they don't take into context. Or they don't have the surrounding verses to understand in in full what is being said. So let's keep reading. Let's start at verse 2. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? I keep hitting things with this. Because it's obvious. This We're going to stop there. Don't read verse 5 yet. So... Once again, people often stop reading right here. And as we're reading it, this funny game that we played this morning with the speck compared to the log starts to make more sense. And Jesus uses this example of, obviously, imagine someone with this coming out of their game, lift it up. Leverage. Imagine this, like, oh yeah, here, let me check Joe's speck out, right? That's, you're getting nervous, I can tell. That's because, here, Wes, what do you think? Just make me nervous as I'm. (laughs) If you have a log in your eye, obviously it's ridiculous. And Jesus is saying that contradiction is the same thing. I'm going to put this down now before I hurt someone. Jesus is saying that contradiction is the same. If you walk up to someone and you say, you need to stop doing what you're doing, and you're doing it yourself. It's that obvious. It's that wrong. And so maybe Jesus is teaching that only God can 
judge me. We shouldn't be judging each other because there's a log in your eye and there's a speck in the other guy's eye and you're swinging your log around and hitting people. But there happens to be one more verse that we need to read here. Look at verse 5. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Hmm. Notice that Jesus still wants us to help take the speck out of our brother's eye. Simply, Jesus is not teaching us against judgment-free lives, but rather a doctrine of how to judge properly and to do it in a constructive way. We should be working on our own sin while also helping others in their walk of purity as well. Also, the hypocrite in the situation seems to be coming from a place of delusion and superiority. Right? He thinks that his own shortcomings are not obvious. Right? He doesn't see them himself. He's deluded, and therefore he thinks he's better than this guy with the speck in his eye. And I think we're sometimes guilty of that. Which is why Jesus is saying that if we are going to judge in this way, if we keep the log in our eye and we go around pointing out the specks, if we judge in that way, we are not going to like the judgment that we get in return. It's going to be unfair. It's going to be harsh. On the other hand, we can judge in a way that is helpful and extends a lot of mercy and grace because we realize that we are not perfect and that we have a lot to work on, and that we are supposed to be seeking to improve our walk in righteousness along with our brothers. So now, there is some truth. I'm not going to completely discredit the phrase, only God can judge me, because there is some truth in it, in that God is the ultimate judge. right? He, he sits above all creation. Psalm 96.13 says, Before the Lord, or excuse me, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people and his faithfulness. He, he is a judge. He is perfectly just. And Isaiah thirty three twenty two says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. And it moves even further to that under the new covenant with Jesus. Jesus has been given the power to judge. Acts 10.42 says, And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God to judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. So God is the ultimate judge, and he gave that authority to Jesus to judge, right? So yes, ultimately, God is the only one who reserves the right to judge us, and by extension, his son, Jesus, because he gave him that job. So we shouldn't be going around to people and saying, saved, not saved, with like a sticker book or something and like stamping people's foreheads. You know, that's not our job. We don't have that authority. Importantly, we also don't have all the information. Right? We're not in that position. So we should leave salvational judgment to the ones equipped with unlimited knowledge and power. And as far as I'm aware, none of us have those characteristics if you do, I will immediately step down. You should come up here and preach if you have unlimited knowledge and power. Please let me know. And also a part of this conversation today 
is that we need to be able to delineate between people that are in covenant with Jesus and those who are not in a covenant with Jesus. So there are two sets of rules that govern our ability and govern our uh, practice of judgment of people. And I think one of the clearest verses on this is 1 Corinthians 5.12. I'll have it on the screen here for us in a second, or you can turn there if you'd like. So it's important to know that in this chapter, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church that is having a major problem in what they are doing and the way they're behaving. So in this chapter, it's kind of gross. There's a guy who seems to be sleeping with his father's wife, whatever that exactly means. Whatever it is, it's not right. And the problem, one of the main problems is that the church in Corinth doesn't have a problem with it. In fact, they're kind of welcoming this guy and celebrating it, which is a big issue. And Paul in verse 3 says, I've already judged this guy. You need to kick him out. And then at the end of the chapter, he says this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? And what is an outsider? Well, that's the opposite of what he says in the next, next passage here, next sentence. Do you not judge those who are within the church? So he's talking about two different groups here. Those within the church. Those within a covenant relationship with Jesus. And then those outside of that covenant. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So he's giving them the authority to judge this individual in their church who is obviously and blatantly living a life and doing something that is not condoned by God or by Christ. With the intent of bringing him back in and saving him. It's not like they're just kicking him out to make a point. The idea is to ultimately bring him back into the fold and to save his soul and to make him or help him live a more righteous life. And in 2 Corinthians, there's a lot of people who think he does end up making it back into the church and living a righteous life. So it's pretty clear in this passage, at least to me, that we have a duty an obligation to judge those within the church. Those who have made a covenant with Jesus because they have signed up for that relationship. And it's not our place to be judges over those who are not in the community of faith. This doesn't mean that we can't look out at the world or look at what someone's doing and say, I think that's wrong or I think that's destructive, I think that's bad. We reserve that right to say, we don't think that aligns with our way of morality But it's also not our job to correct them because they're not in the church. When we see people living unholy lives in the church, however, it is our job to point that out in a sense. To help lead each other to more holy lives. It needs to be done properly with love and patience. And as Paul says, we need to flavor our words with salt. It needs to be done well. But it needs to be done. And We don't need to do it in a way that we take our stick and we bang it around, right? And end up hurting people in the process. That's not what we should be doing. We need to do any correction, any judgment in a non-hypocritical and constructive way. So is God the only one who can judge? Yes and no. In the ultimate sense, yes, God is the judge of all judges. He reserves the ultimate judgment. 
He is above everyone in knowledge and power and goodness, and it makes him the best judge possible. But does that mean that no one else is able to hold us accountable or point out our problems? No. That doesn't make sense. That would leave our world in a lot of chaos. Right? Think about how you got to the point where you are today. Did not someone correct you at some point on something to help you be a more decent human being who lives a life that's not destructive or harming others? And especially when it comes to faith, has not someone said, this is what Christ, this is what God expects of you to live? I think that's totally okay. We need to grow with each other and push each other to live better lives. And it's more about accountability than it is judgment. So here's some big takeaways from today. Number one, and just from the series in general, our one verse does not make a doctrine, okay? That, that is essential to our faith. That means we should not build an entire belief about something based on one reading of one verse. We need to read before and after the key verses to gain an understanding of what is actually being said. Not neglecting to balance what is being said equally. Right? For example, in the Matthew 7 passage, we shouldn't elevate the part where Jesus tells us not to judge unless we want to be judged without also weighing the part where Jesus tells us that we need to help remove the speck from our brother's eye. They need to be held equally in tension. And on top of that, we shouldn't just look at one passage. We should seek out other passages on the topic and consider what Scripture says as a whole. And I know that takes a lot of work and that takes time to work through those things. So I'm not saying tomorrow you need to make a list of all the questions you have about faith and spend the next three years nonstop studying the Bible and trying to figure out every minute point. It's a lifetime's process of learning. But we do need to make sure we're constructing our beliefs off of Scripture as a whole. Number two, we can actually be good judges. It's important for us to realize that judgment can be helpful. It can be beneficial. It can help us. We can help others change their lives, and they can help us change our lives. I think there's something to be said about a person who could admonish someone without tearing them down, right? To help build them up, to make them better. Number three, we are accountable to God. Commonly, the phrase, only God can judge me, is used to stick it to other people, to make a point that only a higher power has the authority to judge them, which is exactly what scares me. <laughs> That's exactly the, the truest part of what this phrase implies, is that at the end of the day, yes, God is our judge. We are accountable to him. And every careless word and every act will be accounted for on the day of judgment. And I find it hard to believe that most people who use this phrase commonly are going to be comfortable when that time comes. So as we move through life, we need to remember that there is a God and that he does know everything and that we are accountable to him and that he's called us to a specific way of living. And he expects us to help others live in pursuit of that commitment too. So I hope you guys have all enjoyed this series. I think it's been fun to look at what the Bible doesn't say. We've looked at four phrases, and if you weren't here for all of them, you can go back and listen to them. Have podcasts, North Camp Bible Church sermons. They're also on our website. We looked over, God won't give you more than you can handle. We looked at, God just wants me to be happy. God helps those who help themselves. And today, only God can judge me. 
So I hope you've, from this, taken away a clear understanding of who God is and what the Bible actually teaches. And I hope you feel more prepared when you run into those situations in your everyday life. Who knows? Maybe you'll be able to speak some truth and do a conversation. If you would, please pray with me this morning. God, our Father, the righteous judge, the most powerful one, who knows everything, we just pray that we get to, we can rather, live holy lives and that we can help hold each other accountable and build each other up so that the body becomes stronger and more like your son. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.